Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. This is Carolyn Ford standing in for Erica Pierce this week, and I am joined by my co-host, Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? Doing great. I'm out in LA this week. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. And this week, we are joined by Steve Oren, federal CTO at Intel. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. And Carolyn, Steve and I go back a good ways. We used to work together at Intel when I was at uh, Intel McAfee. So it's good to be, it's great to be speaking to Steve again. Same here. Well, let's jump right in. I mean, we've got a topic today that uh, interests me a lot and it is, is quite the buzzword everywhere. So the intersection of artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. And I mean, let's just start. Steve, with where do you think AI fits into the government now and, and where is it going to be in five years? I think people are evaluating um, AI in a variety of different areas because it is the hot new topic. It is the thing that everyone wants to get value out of. And so you're finding it show up in a lot of places. So in uh, tactical environments, whether it be in intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance use cases, where you're trying to do object recognition and change detection in the field or from uh, afar to be able to do, you know, to the other complete other side of the camp to logistics management and operations efficiency. So we're seeing AI being applied. And I think one thing that's important to start with is uh, a clear definition that AI can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And so the best way to look at it is AI is, a, is an umbrella for various kinds of machine learning and machine intuition uh, it covers everything from the you know, CNNs and DNNs, so the neural networks um, and convolutional networks, to classic you know, machine learning and analytics. If you use that bucket, we're seeing AI and machine learning be applied quite literally everywhere. The biggest challenge, of course, is how do people get value? How do you translate a really powerful pilot where you've been able to demonstrate some good functionality into a scale or into a distribution so that you can actually get the, the, the government-wide or mission-wide value out of it. And so we see a lot of folks have been playing with AI and are applying it to different use cases. And cybersecurity is a key area where uh, it's really hot right now of looking at how can AI help both the, um, the, the blue teams and the red teams really catch up with the threat actors and the threat adversaries. Because and Steve, are you seeing a lot of... Are you seeing this in practice or are you, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about it. In fact, yep. one of the things I observe a lot is, you know, AI is going to be the solution to all of our problems. And then I remind people, well, if we can use that from a, from a network defense perspective or, or, you know, a cybersecurity defense perspective, the adversary can use it from an offensive perspective also. So where, where, who comes out on top on that equation? Are you seeing it in practice? I'm seeing it. Like I said, I see a lot of it in pilot or in labs. Okay. Um, so we, we, have, we have not seen wide-scale adoption and, dis, and deployment of AI solutions in the government yet. It's mostly, I think, that the successful use cases have been what we call the pilot program, whether it be a lab exercise in a little innovation cell, or in some more advanced organizations, they've deployed it for one problem area. Um, so there's some really good examples throughout the government around, and by the way, object recognition, so what you're, you know, 
the autonomous vehicles or, a, or your Tesla is doing is AI. And so being able to do automatic recognition of buildings and trees and people and troop movements and things like that is being used in these point solutions or point deployments. What we haven't seen is, the, you know, to use the term, the crossing the chasm yet of where it's gone wide-scale adoption, where your average warfighter production got it. Exactly. But we are, there are groups getting value out of it today. Is it, is it just not ready? I mean, is, this, is the object recognition really the only thing that's ready at this point? Why, why isn't it? I think there are a couple things. And it, what it comes back to is something that Eric said in the very beginning, is that it is the, it's the sexy new thing that they just want to use everywhere. And proper deployment of an AI and machine learning solution is a process. And it starts with making sure you're asking the right questions so that you can get the right answers. And a lot of times people just wanna you know, sprinkle AI pixie dust on any problem and say, it will solve my problems. And that's not right. the way it works. And so you- Well, and I'll even see people, they'll write rule sets around firewalls or something and call it artificial intelligence these days. And I'm like, wait a minute, we've been doing this for a couple of decades here. Uh, that's a rule set, right? It's, it's, if you see the traffic on this port, stop it. I mean, that's not AI. That's, that's correct, that is not AI, but it's where, if I wanted to be able to use AI, I need to be able to train that model or that algorithm on a set of, of given data and then apply it to a problem set. And so that's, it's a different way of approaching the problem. A lot of people think that I flip a, a switch and AI turns on. There's a lot of pre-work that happens to get to successful AI. You, people go play with a camera and do object recognition, forgetting that millions of images have been trained in advance of flipping that switch. And so when you start applying AI to new problems, whether it be cyber defense on the network, malware analysis, um, operational efficiency for you know, alerting, all of those things require massive amounts of training, data labeling, data curation, uh, in order to get to a point where you can start to see that value. And I think that's the, the myth that a lot of people uh, forget is that AI can provide those values, but it's gonna take work and it's gonna take uh, the process and there's no you know, skipping ahead of the line. So what I hear you saying is my sci-fi loving brain that wants to go immediately to the human cyborg is not happening yet, but is it coming? So I think it's uh, in the cybersecurity space, I'd like to say that we are really at the toddler phase of AI. We're just learning how to walk. We have a ways to go before we're you know, driving the car and, and asking for the credit card when it comes to cyber applications of AI. In other fields, we've seen massive innovation and really amazing, almost sci-fi-like capabilities being deployed using AI, whether it be the human to uh, machine interface side, and you talk about cyborgs, there's lots of uh, examples out there of brain to prosthetic uh, interfaces that are being used today. We're using AI to understand and model the brain's functions in order to be able to translate that into machine code. There's some great, you know, on the flip side, there's some great research coming out of uh, the University of California, San Diego, around understanding how the brain makes decisions and comes to conclusions and building AI models that are cognitive in nature um, so that we can be more like a human in our computers as opposed to trying to do it the other direction. So we're seeing that that future you want to see of the cyborg and of the AIs that's able to really take control and do things could be coming. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point of the Terminator kind of, you know, doomsday sci-fi or the, you know, but I think we're going to get to a point where AI becomes part of our daily lives. 
And in many cases, it's already there. You just don't realize it. There's a lot of AI that goes behind things like Alexa and your Tesla and things like that. It's where it starts to really become interesting is when it starts integrating throughout your life. So Steve, why do you see it in cybersecurity? I mean, hot field, tons of money flooding into the space, highly unprofitable. You would think that somebody could, could cross the chasm to use the, you know, the term you brought up earlier and really make a difference. Why aren't we seeing it yet? I think there's two reasons. Uh, there are probably more, but the two that come to my mind is one is that cybersecurity isn't a, uh, a simple question and answer. It's not, is this a tree or not? We all know that cybersecurity is a complex environment of being able to detect what is bad, what isn't, and being able to c connect that back to changing environments and changing threat actors. And the fact that we have an active adversary as opposed to a tree that's standing still that I just have to make sure I don't hit. Um, so I think on one hand, the problem is much harder. So when we start thinking about what questions we want to ask the AI, the answer isn't, shouldn't be, is this malware? Because then we're not getting the true value. We need to ask harder questions. The flip side is, and this is something that I've, I've actually said in multiple places, we need data. Data drives AI. Most organizations don't share threat data with each other. They'll share IOCs, which is really nice and important for security operations. But if we can start sharing full tactics, full campaign information, those captures in a, in a way that meet the legal and liability uh, requirements, we can then train these AIs to actually start detecting some of this stuff. But until, if we're all stuck on siloed information, our AIs, the AI we apply to those kind of cybersecurity will always be hampered until we get better algorithms. So I think the innovations where someone can come in and really do something interesting is being able to do research into what they call the incomplete data set problems. So where you don't have access to large data like most of the AI we build today in the world, how do we then do that for cybersecurity where we don't have good data? Do you think it'll happen? I think it absolutely will. I think that given enough time and motivation, we will get there just like we have in autonomous driving, in the bio interfaces and other places. I just think that it's going to take work and effort and it's, it's not happening fast enough for some people. It seems like to me, the better we get at using AI for cybersecurity, it stands to reason that it's going to become the hacker's friend. I mean, it's going to make it easier for people to pretend to be me using AI. I think absolutely. And I think, it, it, again, having an active adversary, the techniques that we use will be used by the adversary. But the, here's the thing to remember, that happens today. Mm -hmm. So right. we, we're already, you know, it's not going to change the game. It's just we, we need to get that much better at a deploying it. What can make things easier is that we have what the hacker doesn't. The hacker doesn't, until they've compromised your system, have full access to your system and your infrastructure. So we have better data. If we start using the data to drive our AIs, we'll have better trained algorithms because we'll have a broader range of things to differentiate against that the hackers will not. At the same time, we have to recognize is that they are already using these technologies. We're seeing things like the adversarial networks be used for malware generation. Uh, it's been demonstrated at the DEF CON conference and, and in the Grand Challenge and other places, and it's an exciting area of research. So absolutely, uh, the adversaries will use it, but I think we have to take the little advantage we all have in the industry of we have the data. We also have the infrastructure. We know what the IP mappings are. We know what the ports are supposed to be doing. So we can label our, if we label the data and drove that through the AI, 
we will get better algorithms than the adversaries that are dealing with that incomplete data set problem on the outside. And do you see the government solving this problem, industry, or kind of together? Absolutely. This is a government-industry partnership. So we all okay. are in the, in the game together, and I think we're seeing a great examples of industry-government collaboration. Um, I'll point to one, which is DHS has a, uh, a program called IMPACT. It's a, uh, where they have, you know, you basically sign up for it, and then you get free access to data sets that they've collected um, across multiple government capture the flags, open source data sets that they've published across a variety of different AI use cases and security being a key factor there. And so there's, there's a, an environment where they're giving away the data to, uh, to organizations, to researchers, in order to be able to better train their, alg uh, their algorithms and their models. Uh, we're seeing examples of universities that have been funded by the government to create data sets, open sourcing those data sets. So absolutely, it's going to take an industry-government collaboration, and we're already seeing some examples of how that collaboration is leading to better research and for companies to get access to data sets, that, especially startups that don't have 20 Fortune 500 companies to go ping and ask for data from. Having mm -hmm. access to the DHS data sets is really helping them. Okay, so there's hope. There's absolutely hope, but it's going to take work. It's not, there's no magic here. Yeah, I, I don't see this as an easy problem to solve, um, but it, it, it's one we need to do. You know, we, we have to figure this out. I, I, I was reading an article actually this morning from NSA General Counsel Glenn uh, Gertzel. And he talks about another challenge. And what is surely the most pernicious effort of the technology revolution flows from the global border-destroying nature of technology and cyber. And he, he goes on to talk about, you know, how easy and cost-effective it is. And then there's a line that kills me. It is almost impossible to overstate the gap between the rate at which the cybersecurity threat is getting worse relative to our ability to effectively address it. And, and I, my mind goes to AI, like we, we have the money, we create the greatest weapon systems and, and life-saving systems and everything else in the world. We, sh we should be able to stop this problem. We're just not. Yep, and then it, it, like, like I said earlier, it's gonna take time and concentrated energy and recognizing that there's not a quick win. It's not a, flip, a switch that you just flip and magic you get AI. But I think where, where he's hinting at with that is that unless we dedicate the time and energy and do the non-sexy work of the data curation of, one of the interesting things is, is that a lot of people focus on individual models. I'm gonna go look for I'm going to look at multiple malware samples looking for changes. The sensor fusion, the data fusion, being able to look across different types is an area of research that's ripe for, the, for cybersecurity because it is a complex problem. It's not a, is it a tree or not kind of problem. But and the so, industry is so fragmented. I mean, I know you're at Intel, which you know, it's a very consolidated industry. It's so fragmented here. Do you, do you think we'll get there? How do we get there? Well, I think it's going to take uh, innovation from the vendors in the industry working together, and it's going to take some disruptors coming out, and especially in the cybersecurity space, I think disruptors are going to be the thing that sort of kickstarts a lot of collaboration. The, the security industry itself has had really good examples over time of collaborating, but there are often times where everyone's, you know, I'm a firewall, you're a virus vendor, you're something else. Right, we're very yeah. segmented. We yeah. don't look at and it from I, a problem or an outcome perspective. We look at it from, exactly. this is the widget, this is the tool I create. Coming from Intel like you, I mean, I look at the CPU 
as the starting point for the art of the possible, right? You can get it to do almost anything. Cybersecurity, we're very, this is what I do. And I think that's where we can learn from, from companies like Intel and others that are cross industry and build ecosystems and see how in the cybersecurity realm can we come together to solve that bigger problem. And we've done this once or twice, you know, a few times in the past. There was a major effort back in the early days of web security where all the web security vendors got together and said, we need to get a better definition of the threats, of the mitigations, so we're not confusing customers, and ended up building a set of standards that all the vendors then adopted to help better communicate. We've seen the same thing happen in the antivirus world. I think that AI, just like we have an AI initiative as an executive order, we should have an AI initiative for cybersecurity where we come together, where we, where we all work to try to get to that point where you made, which is let's get towards outcomes and what can we all contribute to drive those outcomes. And whether it be some of the data labeling sharing, classification sharing, best methods for how do you curate data sets from customers. And then ultimately, we, every security vendor will have their value that they bring to the table. But you're right, we have to change the, the, out, the thing towards outcomes as opposed to just widgets. I, I love is the there, way you put that. Is there talk in the government to create um, an AI group like that that you're talking about? For security, I have not heard one yet. I mean, there no, is- No, I haven't, I haven't either. I mean, everybody talks about it for cybersecurity, but there's no unifying component. No, there's nobody who is saying we're going to do this. And, and I would say the same thing in the industry. Everybody talks about it. We'll go to RSA in a couple of weeks and everybody's talking about it, but there's no unifying component that brings us all together and says, this is a hard problem impacting this world we as an industry are going to come together and solve this problem. It's not like it's, you know, it's, it's cancer or it's something where, where multiple people are all coming together with the same interest and they just want to solve the problem and save lives. It's, I don't know. I'm not seeing it, Steve. Yeah. But I think, you know, you bring up a good point. Like we had the, the, the moonshot for cancer and a couple others. There are groups like the Jake, you know, the joint AI center in the DOD, that have been stood up to tackle from a DOD perspective uh, the big problems around AI. And what part of their charter is industry collaboration, both through the DIUX as well as through things like DARPA. So there may be an opportunity for a grand challenge around AI. And I think that's something that we can all advocate for, that they have the central location, they have the rules of engagement to allow them to connect to both academia and industry. Maybe it's the Jake that takes on the, that, at least the first, you know, the first shot at trying to do something collaborative in AI. Yeah, maybe they are the lead component. That's, that's a good point. We have the capability. It's just, it's, it's marshalling the resources. You know, we, we need a John F. Kennedy to say, hey, we're going to put a man on the moon in the next 10 years. We're going to, you know, address this problem in the next 10 years. And I'm just, we just seem so fragmented. My, my, uh, time in this space. Well, and I, you know, I brought up the cyborg stuff, but it's very real. Like you said, Steve, it's happening now. And it's a little terrifying to me when you say, you know, we're not quite to the sci-fi Terminator stage yet, or maybe never will be. Honestly, as I read these articles about um, the human interface to uh, prosthetics, that seems pretty out there to me. And if we don't get something to guide us and govern us, it, it terrifies me. As a citizen, it terrifies me. Well, well you're one of the few. 
But I think it's important to note two things. The, the brain talking to prosthetics, think about the direction there. The brain's mm-hmm. talking to prosthetic, not the other way around. Yeah, and but so what we're if not... somebody hacks that interface and makes my ah. prosthetics do something that I don't want them to do? So that is the, that is the foundation, the fact that you know, security has got to be built into all these technologies. Yeah. This is, you know, you're, you're asking, actually, it's not a prosthetic problem. It's an IoT problem. Your prosthetic is a, uh, a connected device. It just happens to be. Yeah, it's a connected device problem. Yeah. And we need to do, all of us need to do a better job at the fundamentals there. And I think one of the things that we found is that a lot of people ignore IoT security until it's way too late. And this is both a design in, the features need to be there, and then the applications that leverage them need to take advantage of them. There's hardware features in place today in most IoT devices to flip on security. Oftentimes it doesn't from a cost of time to market perspective, or people don't think, well, my IoT device isn't important enough. It, you know, there's no reason why a light switch needs to have security. And that, that pervades throughout the IoT industry. So yeah. better security built in and making sure that you're, you know, and this is another part of the story is that making sure you have good trans- supply chain for those devices and things that go into devices so that you don't have a, a prosthetic hacked or a router hacked or any of those kind of devices. And we know that a lot of the major attacks are coming in through the IoT as the, as the foothold, whether it be yeah, the classic one from years ago of the HVAC system to even more modern attacks are coming in through routers, modems, or other devices. Yeah, and you just touched on a topic near and dear to us, the, the supply chain. Unfortunately, time has beaten us here, but... Um, so, Eric, do you have a couple, any more questions before we wrap up? We've got to keep it to the point. Let's, let's be real quick here, Steve. What do we need to do to support, secure the supply chain? I know you do a ton around supply chain security. What do we need the to most, do? Top couple the most, things. Top, top, top thing we need is visibility and transparency. You can't secure what you don't got know. It. And so the number one thing is for the vendors in the supply chain to provide transparency and for the consumers of these technologies to demand that visibility. And then once you have that visibility, you can start to then apply policies. Not everything needs to have 100% trusted, secure supply chain, but you need to know what's in your supply chain to make that value proposition or that policy decision. So absolutely transparency and visibility is the foundation. The next piece is for those things, whether it be highly regulated industries, nations, uh, national security level applications, mission critical healthcare, you need to be able to apply security controls to each step of it so that you can verify each component as, as it comes together into a system of systems and then be able to verify them on launch and at runtime. And so not only did I system boot, but did all the components that led up to that point do their job correctly. And this is a firmware challenge, being able to verify your firmware and get visibility into the current version that you're on the correct non-vulnerable version of your firmware. And it's the software that connects to it. And so there are lights of hope here. There's an industry uh, consortium that have come together around transparent supply chain. Intel is one of the leaders here working with all of our ecosystem and our our competition as well. We're all coming together because we have to solve this problem together. And then we're seeing some, some really interesting companies out there looking at things like firmware supply chain and firmware security. And I think those are really starting to raise the light that these are some foundational things we can do to get better supply chain. So I'm going to add one more to your list. You've got to care. 
suppliers, consumers, whether the consumer is an individual, a household, or an actual corporation, you've got to care about this problem. And yeah. what I what I hear about when you talk to, you know, common people, um, whether in the business or or just on the street, when you're talking to them, they don't understand the problem, they don't see the challenge in the problem, and they certainly don't care just yet. When you explain it, they get it. But until then, you, you, we've got to get some some awareness. I think I'm glad to hear the industry is stepping up though and and working the problem. A couple of years ago, I think it was a uh, unknown issue. Yep, and things have really started to progress. There's still a lot of work to be done, but I think we're we're starting to see the interested parties come together and working with the end, like you said, the, working with customers that care to help get the, the best practices in place so that customers, as they start to care, don't have to start from scratch. Yeah. Okay, Carolyn, we covered quite a bit today, including the futuristic stuff. I love it. We did. This was a topic that I, I mean, I could talk about forever. We'll have to get you back, Steve. Thank you so much for being My on pleasure. the podcast. Yeah. Thanks to all of our listeners out there. Please continue to tune in every week to To The Point Cybersecurity. Subscribe on iTunes or your podcasting platform of choice. And please give us a rating. Tell us what you would like to hear us talk about. Until next time, thank you. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 